0: Chapter 14 of Poison Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Audrey Gigger. Poison Island by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Chapter 14 How I Broke Out The Red Ensign. We were seated in council in the little parlor of Minden Cottage miss belcher miss plinlimmon mr jack rogers mr goodfellow and i mr goodfellow had been included at miss belcher's particular request constable Hoskin had been dispatched to search the plantation thoroughly and to report two other constables had arrived and were coping in front and rear of the cottage with a steady if straggling incursion of visitors from the near villages and hamlets of st germans hessenford bake and catch french drawn by reports of a second murder to come and stand and gaze at the premises the report among them as i learned afterwards ran that a second body alleged by some to be mine by others to be anne the cook's had been discovered lying in its own blood in the attic but the marvel was how the report could have spread at all since miss belcher had sworn the two woodmen to secrecy whoever spread it could have known very little for the sightseers wasted all their curiosity on the house and concerned themselves not at all with the plantation from the plantation miss belcher had led me straight to the house and there in the darkened parlor i had told my story corroborated here and there by mr goodfellow in the intervals of my narrative miss belcher insisted on my swallowing great spoonfuls of hot bread and milk against which faint though i was and famished my gorge rose also the ordeal of gulping it under four pairs of eyes was not a light one but miss belcher insisted and miss belcher stood no nonsense i told him of my acquaintance with captain coffin how he had invited me to his lodgings and promised me wealth of his studying navigation of his reference to the island and the treasure hidden on it and of the one occasion when he vouchsafed me a glimpse of the chart of the french prisoner aaron glass and how we escaped from him and of the plan we arranged together at the old windmill, how Captain Danny had taken boat to board the St. Ma's Packet, how the man glass had followed, how I had visited the lodgings, and of the confusion I found there. I described the ex prisoner's appearance and clothing in detail, and here I had Mr. Goodfellow to confirm me under cross examination. On the captain,' said he, was afraid of him. I give you my word, ladies and gentlemen, I never saw a man worse scared in my life put up his hands, he did, and fairly screeched, and bolted out of the door with his arm linked in the lads. Three or four times in the course of my narrative, I happened to thrust my hands into my breeches pocket, and was reminded of the gold eyeglass concealed there. I had managed very artfully to keep Captain Branscombe entirely out of the story, but so as under examination I was forced to mention him, and each time, curiously enough, in answer to a question of Miss Belcher's you are sure this captain coffin showed the chart to no one but yourself she asked i am pretty sure ma'am there was always a tale about falmouth and that captain danny had struck a buried treasure said mr goodfellow twas a joke in the publics and with the street boys but i never heard tell till now that any one took it serious he was learning navigation mused miss belcher what was the name of his teacher a captain Branscombe, ma'am he's a teacher at stimcoe's Lives in a house, does he? No, ma'am. A Captain Branscombe, you say? Yes, ma'am. He's a retired packet captain and lame of one leg. Every one in Falmouth knows Captain Branscome. Hm. Wouldn't this Captain Branscome wonder a little that a man of your friend's age and we'll say a bit wrong in his head should want to learn navigation? He might, ma'am. He certainly would. Snapped Miss Belcher and wouldn't this captain branscombe know it was perfectly useless to teach such a man i dare say he would ma'am i answered guiltily recalling captain branscombe's own words to me on this subject then why did he take the man's money eh well go on with your story i breathed more easily for a while but by and by when i came to tell of the discussion by the old windmill i felt her eyes upon me again wait a moment captain coffin gave you a key and this key was to open the corner cupboard in his lodgings wasn't it rather foolish of him to send you seeing that this Aaron glass had seen you in his company and would recognize you if you were watching the premises which was just what you both feared he didn't count on me to go i admitted at least not first along on whom then on captain branscome ma'am oh did he send you with that message to captain branscome yes ma'am then why didn't you tell us so well when you took the message what did captain branscome say and why didn't he go? He was not at home, ma'am. Mr. Stimcoe had given us a holiday in honor of the prisoners. I see. So Captain Branscombe was off on an outing? When did he return? I didn't see him that evening, ma'am. That sought an answer to my question. I asked, when did he return? Not until yesterday afternoon. I had to think before giving this answer, so a long stretch seemed to lie between me and yesterday afternoon. Where had he been spending his holiday meanwhile? he didn't tell me ma'am at all events he didn't turn up for school next day nor the next again until the afternoon queer sort of academy stimcoe's did mr stimcoe make any remark on his under-teacher's absence no ma'am the school went on just as usual no oh ma'am i hesitated not quite as usual mr stimcoe was unwell drunk my dear miss belcher put in the scandalized Pliny a scholar and such a gentleman fiddlestick aunt snapped the unconscionable lady not removing her eyes from mine was this man Stimcoe drunk eh no i beg your pardon she corrected herself i oughtn't to be asking a boy to tell tales out of school thou shalt not say anything to get another fellow into trouble that's the first and last commandment eh harry brooks but my good soul she turned on plenty if drunk and incapable isn't written over the whole of that seminary you may call me a dutchwoman there's a point or so clear enough she announced after a pause when i had finished my story we must placard the whole country with a description of that prisoner chap glass said mr jack rogers and i'd best be off the falmouth and get the bills printed at once indeed said miss belcher dryly and pray how are you proposing to describe him why as for that i should have thought harry's description here backed up by mr goodfellows was enough to lay a trail upon any man my dear lydia a fellow roaming the country in a red coat drill trousers and a japanned hat it would obviously excite remark so obviously that the likelihood might even occur to the man himself mr rogers looked crestfallen for a moment you suggest that by this time he has changed his rig i suggest rather that he started by changing it say as far back as st moss someone must write to st moss at once and make inquiries miss belcher drummed her fingers on the table but the man she said thoughtfully will have reached plymouth long before this you don't think it was possible he went back the same way he came in a world jack where you find yourself a magistrate all things are possible but i don't think it at all likely it's a rum story altogether Mused Mr. Rogers, a couple of murders in this part of the world, and mixed up with an island full of treasure. Why, dame, tis almost like Shakespeare. For my part, observed Miss Plinlimmon, with great simplicity, though sometimes accused of leaning unduly toward the romantic, I should be inclined to set down the story of Captain Coffin's to hallucination, or even to stigmatize it as what I believe is called, in a nautical parlance, a yarn. And small blame to you, my dear. Agreed, Miss Belcher. Only, you see, when folks go about killing one another, the hallucination begins to look disastrously as if there was something in it. Yet I still fail to see, urged Pliny, why our dear Major should have fallen a victim. It's plain as a pike-staff, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Rogers answered her. This coffin carried the chart on him, meaning to deliver it into the Major's keeping. He came here, entered the garden by the side gate, found the major in the summer-house told his story handed over the chart and was making his way back to the high road through the plantation when he came full on this man aaron glass who had tracked him all the way from st glass fell on him murdered him rifled his pockets and finding nothing but having some hint perhaps pursued his way to the garden here there in the summer-house he found the major who meanwhile had fetched his cash-box from the house and locked the chart up in it what followed any one can guess. Not a bad theory, Jack, murmured Miss Belcher, still drumming softly on the table. Indeed, tis the only explanation, but for one or two things against it. For instance, for instance, I don't see why the major should want to go to the house and bring back his cash box to the garden. Surely the simple thing to do was to take the paper, or whatever it was, straight to the house, lock it up, and leave the cash box in its usual place. I don't see either what that box was doing, later on, in the brook below my lodge-gate, for, by every chance that I can reckon, the murderer, supposing him to be this man Glass, would have pushed on in haste for Plymouth, whereas my lodge-gate lies half a mile in the opposite direction. Are those all your objections? asked Mr. Rogers, because if so, I must say they don't amount to much. They don't amount to much, Miss Boucher agreed they don't on the other hand quite cover all my doubts however there's less doubt luckily about the next step to be taken you send hoskin or someone to Torpoint ferry to inquire what strangers have crossed for plymouth during these forty-eight hours you meanwhile borrow my roan filly your own mare is dead beat clap her in the tilbury and off you go to st maw's and find out how this man glass got hold of a change of clothes take mr goodfellow with you and while you are playing detective at St. Moss, he can cross over to Falmouth and fetch along the corner cupboard. Harry has the key, and will open it here and read what the captain has to say in this famous roll of paper. It won't do more than tantalize us, I very much fear, seeing that the chart has disappeared, and likely enough, forever. But it had not. It so happened that while I stood by my father's bedside that morning, I had noticed the flag rolled in a bundle and laid upon the chest of drawers beside his dressing-table i concluded at once that pliny had fetched it from the summer-house to spread over his coffin women know nothing about flags this one was a red ensign in those days a purely naval flag carried since Trafalgar, by the highest rank of admirals ashore Anyone who could hoist it but the flag to cover a soldier's body was the flag of union this had crossed my mind when i caught sight of the red ensign on the chest of drawers and again in the summer-house as i lifted the lid of a flag-locker and noted the finger-marks in the dust upon it i guessed that pliny had visited it with pious purpose and womanlike, chosen the first flag handy i had meant to repair her mistake and again had forgotten my intention mr jack rogers had driven off for st moss with mr goodfellow in the tilbury beside him constable hoskin was on his way to torpoint miss belcher had withdrawn to her great house after insisting that i must be fed once more and packed straight off the bed and fed i truly was and tucked between sheets to sleep exhausted very nearly the round of the clock footsteps awoke me footsteps on the landing outside my bedroom i sat up guessing at once that they were the footsteps of the carpenter and his men arrived in the dawn with the shell of my father's coffin Almost at once I remembered the red ensign, and, waiting until the footsteps withdrew, stole across, half-dressed, to my father's room to change it. The faint rays of dawn drifted in through the closed blinds. The coffin shell lay the length of the bed, and in it his body. The carpenter's men had left it uncovered. In the dim light, no doubt, they had overlooked the flag, which I felt for and found. Tucking it under my arm, I closed the door and tiptoed downstairs, let myself out at the back, and stole out to the summer-house there was light enough within to help me in selecting the union flag from the half-dozen within the locker i was about to stow the red ensign in its place when i bethought me that they being so near i might as well bend the flag upon the flagstaff halyards and half-mast it so with the union flag under one arm i carried out the red ensign bent it carefully still in a roll and hoisted it to the truck in half-masting a flag you first hoist it in a bundle to the masthead brick it out there and then slower it to the position at which you make fast i felt the flag's toggle jam chock a block against the truck of the staff and gave a tug shaking out the flag to the still morning breeze a second later something thudded on the turf close at my feet i stared at it but the halyards were in my hand and before picking it up i must wait and make them fast on the cleat Still I stared at it, there where it lay on the dim turf. And still I stared at it. Either I was dreaming yet, or this, this thing that had fallen from heaven, was the oil-skinned bag that had wrapped Captain Coffin's chart. I stooped to pick it up. At that instant, the side gate rattled, and with a start I faced in the half-light, Captain Branscombe. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Audrey Gigger